When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is like the lone day of the baseball season where we actually have zero baseball games. So you could either fill it by watching the ESPYs hosted by Steph Curry. I have no idea how that's going to go. Or you can listen to the Just Baseball show where we talk about the baseball that happened uh, in the last, you know, 100 days. And then we'll talk about the baseball that will happen for 100 more days. Does that sound good? Yeah. And then some of the special event stuff. Uh, yeah, a little, little home run derby talk, little all star game. Um, I'll, I'll take that over like the the cringy SP jokes because I, 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 you can tell when uh, they someone wrote it for them, and I can guarantee it's going to be one of those things. And over under five minutes before Steph Curry references the three pointer. Under, under, you know, within within like one or two minutes, the guy who wrote the joke for him will reference a three pointer. I'm sure. Yes, 100%. Um, when do you think they're going to reference the ring that he just won right away? Oh, it's going to be like right in the beginning, and then they're going to stop for a second so that everyone can can applaud. And he's going yeah, to say, right. Yeah, it's yeah. like I'm so I, out on shows, on shows like award shows and stuff. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the most out. No, I, I think I'm pretty out on it too. Um, I used to like the ESPYs. I don't really like I the used ESPYs. to as well. I used but, to as well. I yeah. went way back in, in Did you? LA. And it was awesome. It was super cool. Uh, probably eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago. You know how I could tell you how long it was. Brandon Knight won Gatorade player of the year, national player of the year. In high he school? went to my high school. So we were all amped up and, and we were able to go. And yeah, it was however long that would have been, like 10 years ago. Man, was that still at uh, Nokia Theater? <laughs> Is that what it was called? I, I think, think so. so. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Nokia. That company's what gone now? Oh, Obsolete. That's, that company's so washed, dude. It has to be. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're gonna talk about the all-star game. We're gonna talk about what what J-Rod did during the home run derby. Um, you know, we'll we'll quickly because we gave you a full rundown on Monday's episode about the draft um and, and the first couple rounds of the draft, but we'll just kind of tie a bow on the MLB draft and tell you who had a, a great draft and things like that, just overall team look. 
Um, and, and then we'll get out of here. You know, this is, this is the day where we don't really have to watch baseball. So maybe we go for a walk outside. I've been crushing stranger things. And you said that you're kind of anti stranger things. You need a little bit more strategy. Is that right? Yeah. I don't, I don't need just like stick your hand out and use the force to get the, the crazy goblin monster thing. I don't know. I'm just, I, I need a little bit more structure there. I, I need to debate whether they should pull the pitcher a second time through the lineup or not. Like I, I don't yeah. need just like, oh, stick your hand out and you strike out the side. Like, it's just, it's just the way I'm wired. Baseball, baseball poisoned me. Yeah, but 11 is a disgruntled child. So, like, if it was just a normal There's ass. Plenty if, of those in the big leagues. Look at, look at Chris Sale when he faces some adversity. Yeah, you're right. Man, is 11 going to buy? <laughs> Which, a... by the way, actually, that might be the topic we should start with real quick before we get into the All-Star game and stuff. Yeah. Is Chris Sale, the horrible luck, breaks his finger dislocates it he's out for what more than a month at least four to six weeks they said yeah he said it was par for the course right now I, I feel for him that's a guy that's really frustrated and like it's it's fluky stuff I the Red Sox I don't get it man like I, I and I've embraced that they are winning games but I was also doing like a dive into the worst outfields in baseball and number one this is in terms of F4 which is going to take in offense and, and defense yeah Number one worst outfield is the Detroit Tigers at negative one F4. Number two is the Oakland A's at like negative 0.3 or four. Yeah, it makes sense. Number three worst is the Marlins at positive like 0.5. And then number number four was the Boston Red Sox. And um, I just don't know how with the one of the worst outfields with pitching that is, you know, pretty inconsistent how they can continue to win ball games. Obviously it's, it's JD Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers and everything. And, and I've said like, this is probably uh, still the the third or fourth best team in the AL, but I, I just don't get it. And, and are they going to stick that way? Or are the Mariners coming for them? Because the Mariners and J-Rod have won 14 straight going into the all-star break. Like how worried are you about Chris sale, the injury and also their outfield situation Verdugo is not great. Like there's, there's a lot of like questions there. JBJ's playing like what's going on I'm incredibly worried I I have been it feels like the Red Sox have been walking with socks on on a linoleum floor where you've <laughs> got to be so careful with every single step and you could slip and fall on your face at any given moment but they and don't they so they haven't they did at the beginning they were on their face at the start of the year is that right and then they yeah. decided to go on this run. And now I'm worried with the sale thing going on post all-star break, you know, maybe they sleepwalk for a little bit and Seattle continues this insane run. I'm just worried that they are more prone to slipping up than any other team, just because of the lack of depth. Like you're saying, the outfield is so important and yeah, you can stack up the left side of the infield. I mean, Bogart's endeavors, like you can't beat that left side of the infield. If yeah, what's a better left side of the infield. Swanson and Riley Bogart's no, endeavors no. offensively is way better. No shot. Unless we're sli someone slipping our mind right now. I mean, I, I'm not going to say Bregman and Pena. <laughs> like no, there, there's like, not the Yankees. No Jays. Like, no, um, there, there's not really a team out there. I think that that has that beat right now. No. Yeah. Bogart's endeavors are the best. A sneaky one. A sneaky one would probably be the guardians. Uh, yeah, with J Ram and, 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 and Jimenez, or do they have him more at second? They've got Jimenez more at second, and Rosario's been playing short. Oh, then never mind. <laughs> yeah, I but I mean, like, 
still I'd take Bogart's endeavors over J Ram and Andres Jimenez for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'd say maybe Tim Anderson and a buck 70 Johan Moncada for sure. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think so. No, um, but like, think about it. You've got the best left side of the infield in baseball. You've got JD Martinez, who's an all-star paid big money for story. And you've got guys like John Schreiber who are having amazing years and you're still worried about the outfield and you're still worried about the underperformance of Alex Verdugo and Jackie Bradley Jr. Like world series teams don't have things like the outfield to worry about. They've got yeah, one the spot. Outfield. They've got Joey Gallo. Like the Yankees are worried about Joey Gallo. Yeah. They're the worse. They're worse player. Like they're, issue period is joey gallo right the astros are worried about jordan alvarez's health the red sox are worried about the outfield yeah one of those problems is a lot bigger than the other two yeah and and i would say you know you you talk about the teams that you listed the yankees obviously dealing with some issues on the mound as well given that you know you're looking at Luis severino potentially missing time jameson tyone has seemed to hit a wall uh but I, I still look at the Yankees. I'm like, that pitching is, is way better, especially with, with Chris Sale on the shelf. But what it really boils down to is, is over the last 14 or like the last 14 games going into the all-star break, they played the Yankees in the race basically exclusively. Yeah. The Red Sox did. And they dropped 10 of them. Um, you know, the Rays are starting to heat up. They're starting to show signs of life. And, and I think they were getting hot at the right time. But they also dropped two out of three to the Cubs. It, it's been a disastrous July. For, for the Red Sox, and, and the All-Star break came at the right time. The reason why I wanted to talk about the Red Sox, though, is that I have a blind spot on this team. Like, I, I've got to be honest and call it what it is. Like, every time I think they're dead in the water, like I always expected them to be, they find a way to climb back out of it, and I can't take my victory lap. And then when I want to start saying, okay, maybe they're just better than I think, and it's just not the way I would construct a roster, but they're just really darn, you know, they have good chemistry and they find a way to win ball games. And, and it, it is what it is, which is what happened last year. They start to falter. I still do think that this team is worse than last year's team. Um, and, and I don't think that they have this kind of run in them. I think July is, is, is a little bit of an eye opener when, when you're playing almost all of your games against division rivals and getting, you know, smacked around a little bit. I mean, the Yankees really knocked them around uh, in those last two games. It was 14 to one and then 12 or 13 to two in the final two games going into that. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see how this all plays out. Brian Bayo, we were hoping would come in and help and, and he got shelled by the race twice. I like Bayo long-term, but you know, that means he might not be able to contribute to them this year. We'll see. Can they really be in a spot where they can just continue to like audition him every fifth day? They're in a tough spot. Pavetta's hit the, hit the wall a little bit. Yeah. And now Chris sales injury, Evaldi coming back is going to be huge. But now you're, you're relying a lot on a guy that's just about to come back from injury. Waka as well when he comes back. you yeah. you got to rely on those guys pretty heavily. That, that's a lot. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm worried about the Red Sox, but that means they're going to win 10 straight now after the All-Star break. So. I think so. And your point about roster construction had my, had my mind spinning a little bit. And I knew that I saw something from Alex Spear, who does incredible work at the Boston Globe. Um, and, and I pulled it up again. He wrote a, a story about Devers' value. He talked to Rafi during uh, all-star media availability. And, and here's what Alex Spears said when he tweeted out the article. This is just like the, the body of the text. Um, Devers just confirmed my report that the Sox had used Matt Olson as a comp, but said he wanted to be recognized for who he is as a player. He said he knows his value. I asked what that was. He and Bogarts cracked up. 
Devers declined to answer. That means Heim <laughs> Bloom is absolutely fucking Rafi Devers in, in negotiations. That means that Rafi knows he's worth more than what Heim Bloom is trying to give him. And yeah. I, I've seen this point brought up time and time again. Why are they willing to drop the bag on Trevor Story and on Chris Sale, but they're not willing to drop the bag on guys that they grew themselves, Devers, yeah, Bogarts? Why are you not paying Xander Bogarts what he deserves? Xander Bogarts is a four-time All-Star. He was your top prospect. He has blossomed into exactly who you hoped he would become. Don't you want to hold on to him? I understand that like, you need to make the best business decisions. It really feels like Xander Bogarts would be the best business decision for the Red Sox to make. feels like Rafi Devers is one of the better business decisions that the Red Sox could make. I would bat less of an eye if they extended Bogarts and Devers for double the money than what they paid Trevor Story. That was a weird one. Yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre, especially given the timing, because they obviously signed Trevor Story knowing that that these days are coming in terms of the extension discussions with Bogarts and Devers. And I'm just surprised that both of them are in the same boat. I, I figured maybe they'd, they'd get to a deal with one of them and then kind of be nickel and diming the other and having it be Devers, kind of the no-brainer lockup. And then Bogarts are trying to figure it out, even though I, I agree you should have both of them. Uh, Devers, after what he's done this season, uh, not only hitting 324, 379, 601, but also playing like good or at least passable defense after being one of the worst defenders. He's 25 years old, has improved that part of his game so massively. I mean, from going to being a legit liability to being solid at third, that would be the last thing I need to see from my 25-year-old superstar. He's a superstar. I would pay whatever the price is. And I mean, we know that the Red Sox have it. We know what, what was the reason for letting Mookie Betts walk if you're not going to extend Rafael Devers and yes. Xander Bogarts? Why'd you let Mookie Betts walk that? I was going to say that. Don't ever get it twisted. The Red Sox have enough money to pay both of these guys handsomely. Um, and it almost feels like um, when I was growing up, again, I was a loser. When I was growing up, I never had a curfew sent by my parents. I set my own curfew. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm about to be home by 11 because I didn't want to be, you know, out past 11. I didn't want to be out till 1.30. I was like, I'm going to be home by 11. Time Bloom is setting his own financial barrier. The yeah. ownership is not telling him that he can't surpass this dollar amount for Devers or Bogart. You don't think so? You don't think they're trying to nickel and dime him? You don't think so? I No, I think that if anybody is trying to nickel and dime Bogart's endeavors, it's the general manager. It, it's high. Why, why would he do that, though? Like, his job is to win games, just, just, just to put together the best roster. If you have limitless pockets. But think about where he learned. Think about, think about how he learned how to be an executive, how he learned how to thrive. He learned in the kiddie pool. It's is hard it like to shake. Unimpressive, unimpressive to just massively extend? I think so. <laughs> I, I think that there might be a little bit of that going on, like in his mind, right? It's, it's oh, I got to make the right cheap moves. I got to pull the Eric Neander here. Um, when in reality, like Andrew Friedman, he went from the kiddie pool to the Pacific Ocean. And he Doing said, both. I, can, I can do both. I think Heim Bloom is saying like, yeah, I went from the kiddie pool to the Atlantic Ocean, but I still want to play in the kiddie pool a little bit because I feel like that's more impressive. No. Yeah. No. And, and you know what's funny too is when I really think about it too, what makes how are the Red Sox good 
Like, how are the Red Sox winning games? The answer is Bogarts and Devers and, and, and J.D. Martinez as well. But, and but all, if you look at yeah. their production is all from Bogarts and Devers. Like, they are carrying this team. I mean, Story's been decent in spots, but at the end of the day, he's got a 713 in OPS in spots. J.D. Martinez is, I think, one of the most underrated hitters in the game still. Somehow he hits every year and we take it for granted. It's because he doesn't put up the 50 home runs and he doesn't hit. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, we ignore his 300 batting average and 30 pumps and 100 ribbies every single year. Uh, But Devers and Bogarts are carrying this team. If they're gone, the hell are you going to do? There's this team would have no strength at that point after that. So I'm very interested to see what they do. I'm very interested to see how things shake out. Don't cite Marcelo Meyer and Nick York as a reason why you can let these guys walk. I'll lose my shit. Um, and I, I love Marcelo Meyer. I think, I think he's going to be a superstar, but it just doesn't seem to make any sense. I'm interested to see what they do. Um, first base is a question as well. It's going to be interesting because Tristan Costas is the answer long-term. He's been hurt this year. So to wrap up on, on the Red Sox, they're obviously buyers. We, we, we're putting out you know deadline outlooks and, and Kobe Olsen did a great job on the Red Sox deadline outlook. And obviously they need to add and it's pitching. That's the thing though, is if you think about like, what do they need to add? You could say, Oh, they need first base. They need outfield. They need pitching. That's, that's fucking everything. That's a lot. How is this team good? (laughs) I don't get it. I don't freaking get it. Uh, But chemistry and Cora, I'll put a lot of stock in that. I will. 100%. No, I'll put a lot of stock into. They are good because of the guys that they refuse to pay a shit ton of money to. They were both all-stars. Let's talk about the all-star game and then we'll get to the home run derby and what Julio Rodriguez did uh, and what Juan Soto did, I guess. Um, But the all-star game, couple of big takeaways here. Broadcast elements wise. uh, I think everybody noticed this. Having Alec Manoa mic'd up for the second inning was so freaking cool. Manoa walking through that at bat with Jock Peterson and saying to John Smoltz on national television, Oh, that's sexy. When Smoltz said, I'm thinking back foot slider. Like that was hilarious. Having Nestor and Trevino mic'd up to the point where they could have conversation, verbal conversation on what to throw was electric. And then another underrated thing I thought was having Garrett Cole and Max Fried mic'd up in the same inning. If you watch that inning back, I want to say it was the third inning. What? He's so weird. Cole? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's. I'll get into that, but anyway, continue. He's no, he's weird, weird, but like he's. I also loved it. I personal. loved it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's good at this. Like, I actually think he could be a good broadcaster because he is outgoing enough. Um, yeah. And you got to tick a little funny to, to talk all the time. Um, but having Freed and Cole mic'd up in the same inning here, they were talking like you did not hear Joe Davis and John Smoltz for the majority of that inning because it was just Garrett Cole and Max Fried going back and forth. Like how many homers you got, how many bags you got, things like that. It's very funny. I love that. And obviously it can never happen in a game of consequence. You can never mic up a pitcher in a game of consequence, but this game, it does not determine home field advantage in the world series anymore. It doesn't mean anything. It's an exhibition game. Mic up somebody during an exhibition game, much like spring training. I think there's a lot of reasons why the broadcast was, was, was a hit in my opinion. Um, obviously all the things you said and without kind of repeating the same points, cause I agree with all of that. I also think it's, you know, the all-star game doesn't really matter. As you talked about, it's a game without consequence. And uh, this is the only time you can do that. 
but also you got to find a way to drum up interest. And, you know, I'm, I find myself sometimes not really caring. Same thing happens in the NBA all-star game. I'm entertained for about a quarter. Uh, so for, for the baseball game, I'm entertained for like the guys I want to see. Of course, watching McClanahan throw was awesome. Even if Manoa wasn't mic'd up, would have enjoyed watching him throw. I'm watching specific guys that maybe I don't get to watch as frequently. I mean, MLB TV and the fact that I'm a night owl helps, but I imagine the, the average fan doesn't watch the West Coast teams. Right. You know, so it's, it's really an opportunity to see a lot of these guys. And, um, you know, I, I think that's super cool. But what I loved was the, the ump cam as well. Yeah. Like you're really able to appreciate how, how much the ball rides or how, how much it breaks and how hard it is to see. And, you know, I, I was watching the perfect test as I'm watching with my girlfriend, Ellie, and she's just so entertained by it. And she, she's a baseball fan, but like she was so locked in and she was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. The Manoa mic up thing. She's like, wow. Like that's what they're like. That's what they're thinking about. Like that though. Like it was just, almost was like peel back the curtain and appreciate what goes on in the mind of a pitcher or a hitter for, for like those who didn't like actually play baseball. I think it's super, super cool. Um, and, and even Ellie was talking about like later on that day, I hope, I hope they take some bits of that for like the playoffs in terms of the camera angles and stuff like that. And I hope they keep doing the mic'd up thing in the all-star game. I think it could be a really good way to grow to kind of grow the importance of the all-star game. Cause it's, it's like your first chance to get to know these players on a different level. A lot of them don't do in-season interviews. A lot of them are always in interview mode. Seeing Alec Manoa on the mound, you know, just talking trash, which I I've heard he's always been that kind of guy. I've heard yeah. that. Um, you know, my buddies at Duke played West Virginia in the uh, Super Regional. Right. And, and beat him, actually, which is crazy because he was, he was unbelievable that year. And, and they said, oh, man, that guy will say anything to you from the mound. But hearing him and, and also, like, what pitch do you want me to throw? That was the coolest shit ever. That was one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. It was so cool. And, and what I think that you can utilize this for is to get these players a little bit more of a fan base. We always talk 100%. about baseball having unmarketable stars. How do you watch that second inning and not love Alec Manoa now? My whole feed, my whole Twitter feed was uh, Alec Manoa fan now. And, and you know, it's funny because my, my Twitter following is like, or who I follow is so specific to like, I follow this guy so I don't miss things on this team. I follow this guy so I don't miss things on this team. Yes. So I kind of mental note, this guy is usually going to tweet. He's associated with the Red Sox. This yeah. guy's associated with the Rockies. It was yeah. every associated guy with nothing to do with the Blue Jays was like, I love Alec Manoa. I love Alec Manoa. I love Alec Manoa. Like rival team, you know, reporter. I love Alec Manoa. Like, exactly. That's another really good point, Jack. I'm so sick of hearing like baseball doesn't market its stars. That used to be a point. They're clearly being very... Uh, vigilant about trying to do it differently now. This is one of the best ways that they could do that. And I'm very excited that, that they came up with this. It was risky. At first, we both, I saw your text. You're like, Mike up a pitcher. I said that out loud to, to Ellie. I was like, Mike up a pitcher. And it was, it was, it was dynamite. It was dynamite. Again, it cannot happen in a game of consequence. Of you course not. You cannot do that where stats actually matter and where, you know, success on the mound actually matters. But yeah. And like, the first hitter, the first couple of pitches, I was like, oh, this is going to go so poorly because Manoa wasn't saying shit. He was like trying to get yeah. into it. But once yeah. he got that first punch out, he started to loosen up a little bit, got struck out of the side in the all-star game. That's hilarious. Yeah. He did it while mic'd up. And like you totally saw that that dog that Manoa has. You saw that I'm going to bully the hitter right now. And that's what he did. And he did it. And he walked you through it in his mind for the world to see, which was so awesome. And you know, we, we were going to go all-star game, then home run derby. 
But what you just said, baseball is making a more concerted effort to market its stars. I want to now mesh those two, all-star game home run derby. Because what Manoa just did last night, what Julio Rodriguez did on Monday, and what you see with Acuna and Julio making fun of how Jose Ramirez walks up, you know, for the derby thing, the intro, these guys are so enjoyable. And we've never been at a point where these guys have so much talent. They're so affable. They're so approachable. This is the best spot, I think, star-wise that baseball's been in, at least in my lifetime. I mean, you could make the argument like steroids because they're Herculean, but they feel more accessible now. They don't feel like superheroes like they did when Sosa and McGuire were juiced out of their fucking minds. Now it yeah. feels like these guys are so good and you can talk to them and you can hear about Giancarlo Stanton hitting a ball where he used to sit in Dodger Stadium. That's so freaking cool. And you hear Giancarlo say that and you're like, how, well, how can I not like Giancarlo Stanton now? Oh, no, Giancarlo's the man. Yeah, I and mean, that's the thing. It, it's, it's really funny because, I mean, you look at a lot of these guys. Yeah, I think they're, they're pretty normal. And, and it, again, it's, it's one of those opportunities to, to peel back the curtain and get to know some of them. And I, what, what I like about where baseball is at right now is the wide range is age-wise of stars. We talk about the youthful inflection just there's the tons of youth wave making its way to to baseball and you know soon it's going to be Adley Rutschman probably mic'd up behind the dish next year I think he'll be an all-star but but J-Rod and, and I think Bobby Witt will be there soon like there's so much young talent that's there you still have the current superstars and then you have the the elderly guys like Albert Pujols and, and Miguel Cabrera you know kind of on their last leg a little bit there as well baseball is in a really good spot and I agree I, I get super nostalgic and I always wondered if if like that, it was more me just being nostalgic, looking at the the league leaders in 2005 and being like, ah, oh, baseball was a little bit more loaded back then, or even like 2003. No, it's loaded. It, it, it was loaded offensively, but there also wasn't that much pitching, you know, compared to what there is now. There just wasn't that like there's there weren't rotations where you're looking forward to three different guys throw. Nowadays, yeah. there's several rotations where I could be like, I'm amped to watch three different guys throw. So that's kind of the point I wanted to make is pitching. You got Pitching Ninja existing. Pitching Ninja would have been really scraping for some good stuff back in 2003. Yeah. Hey, Ben Sheets. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at this Ben Sheets curveball. Look at Bronson Arroyo's weird mechanic. Like, he would have been scraping. And, of course, there there were some nasty pitchers back then. Don't get me wrong. But it would have been the same suspects, right? Like, it would have been like, oh, here's Smoltz. Oh, here's, you know, the same same dominant guys. Randy Johnson, whoever it is in the early 2000s. But now – you get some random reliever you've bar- barely heard of, like Andres Munoz, if you're an East Coast guy, and you're watching him do sorcery shit on the mound. So not only do you have the, the really exciting hitters starting to make their way back again, because we've talked about offense being a concern and blah, blah, blah. You also have the really fun to watch pitchers. And it's like this balance of, of two. And, and I don't think baseball has ever been at this kind of talent point right now. And, and it's really fun to watch. I don't think so. And, and look at, Look at Tampa next year, right? Like Rob Friedman could sit there and just clip glass. Now one day McClanahan, the next day, Boz the day after that. It's incredible. And you've got guys coming out like Emmanuel class, a closing down the game on a 99 mile an hour elevated cutter. That has never happened before in baseball, but then you've got guys meeting 95 and sending it to the stratosphere. Correct. Like Giancarlo Stanton hitting ball 460 feet at 112 miles an hour yesterday 
on a Tony Gonson like mid or it was a, it was a slider I want to say but like what John Carlo does he is thirty what about the pitch that that fucking Buxton got to was like oh my shoulders. god dude ridiculous Buxton he is it, he's not a vet but I mean this guy has been like he's been hurt for so long and now he's in his mid twenties and he's here but then you have the twenty one year old Julio Rodriguez stealing the show not only is there so much talent on the mound. But somehow the hitters are more talented than ever to the point where they can meet the toughest shit they've ever seen. There were 22 strikeouts in the all-star game yesterday. I think at the highest level, that's not a knock on the philosophical change in hitting. That's just a testament to how good pitching has gotten. Now, if you see it in triple or double A, it is, oh, well, guys are just trying to hit nukes. I think more often than not, it's guys trying to hit nukes and they are not good enough to do what the best players do. But these are the best players on the planet. All these hitters are great bat to ball. Every all-star is great bat to ball. They can meet any pitch, but these pitches are just so disgusting that they rack up 22 strikeouts in the all-star game. You have the best pitchers in the game going one inning spurts, the best starters in the game. Like you got Sandy Alcantara in a one inning spurt. That's bullshit. Like mm-hmm. he's just sitting 98, 99, hundred. Uh, and Sandy usually gets better as, as a start goes on. So maybe that's not a great example, but like Shane McClanahan was almost too amped up and, you know, you're seeing him like tug a hundred. Yeah. He was like tugging a hundred. Like he was, he was too amped up and then Smolty made a great point. He's like, these guys usually are used to pacing themselves and they're going one inning spurts. But I mean, regardless, you're, you're getting these starters that, that sit mid upper nineties now going in one inning and can kind of just sit upper nineties almost triple digits and and it's insane to watch but uh yeah it, it was it was a ton of fun i didn't really care about the strikeouts because again you're micing up the pitcher you're, you're doing all these other things that make it entertaining um and again the hitters they still kind of got there it got what was there is three to yeah. two is fine that's kind of what you want pace of play was good uh, i, I would have liked a few more base hits here and there but it's so much easier said than done when you have all the best pitchers in the game you know going and, and i'm glad that they were able to just score some out of the gate and, and give some offense in the beginning, but very interested to see how the ratings are. I think more people should tune in next year, kind of after seeing some of the clips of this, I'm very interested to see how the ratings are next year. Yeah. Uh, but I think major league baseball did a really good job on this all-star weekend. We talked about the draft. You and I did the live stream on our YouTube, which, which did awesome. If you tuned into that, thank you so much. That was yeah. a ton of fun for us. I know we, we got a lot of people like new people on YouTube and stuff like that. And on Google searching like MLB draft live stream, but I will say the reason why I decided to do that and ask you if you wanted to do it was really, I, I just thought the coverage of the draft wasn't good over the last few years, yeah. but ESPN kind of treated it like the NFL draft a little bit this year. And I thought it was more entertaining, you know, the best players available um, that this, like the camera setup was similar to the draft coverage we've seen in the past. And you and I talked about it on the live stream. MLB draft is never going to sniff NBA NFL never, yeah. but it doesn't mean it needs to be a non-event. Like it can still be something that's worth watching and fun. And I thought that first round was fun. And I felt like a lot of fans knew the players a little bit more than they did in the past. That might be just because the way things are being covered, social media, you know, with giving us clips of high schoolers that we would have never seen. It seemed like people, you know, had takes and and interest on players. And some of them are unfounded, obviously, but I I still love it. Like people were, were saying, I want this guy. I want this guy. I want this guy. And that was fun. No, I, things got chaotic when Kumar Walker went three. If if the MLB draft didn't mean anything, it would have been, oh, wow, that's cool. 
Yeah. No, it, oh, wow. It was way more there. than that. Like social media blew up with Kumar and it's like, Hey, I feel so good for this guy. Things like that. When the pirates went and got Tamar Johnson at four, my pirates feed was chock full of people saying, this is the best hitter in the draft. Like this is the best hitter, at least yeah. best prep hitter in the draft. I love when people can make that claim because a lot of them did their reading. A lot of them did the research. And I understand that like, you might not have watched Tamar Johnson hit, you can still come to that conclusion because you read good shit at just baseball. You read good shit at Baseball America. And you trust, like you can you read trust the people you're reading. Trust yeah. the people you read. There are enough trustworthy people out there that are evaluating prep talent to go get them. And I feel like people are more interested now because the access is getting better and the coverage is getting better. So 100%. you can see Tamar Johnson sending one to the stratosphere on video in like an embedded tweet into an article, which is great. That's exactly yeah, what we I need. Think that's, that's crazy. That wasn't something we had before. And I think that there's definitely a lot of value to that. Uh, and people are going to pick their favorites and, you know, whether they're right or wrong down the line is kind of irrelevant because it's same thing happens in the NFL draft. When I tell you how amped we all were down here in South Florida, when, you know, I was watching with all my friends, when, when the dolphins drafted Tua, you know, like they, they, we were so amped right. and, and like, look, we were probably wrong. We, 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 definitely would have been better off with, with Justin Herbert, but you know, we wanted to, uh, and we watched and we were amped. I don't even enjoy the NFL draft that much. It's kind of boring. I, I was, I was captivated because I was hoping that Tua would be there. The last thing I'll say is if they allow teams to trade picks outside of the compensation round, like if you can trade your first round pick up to like round five, baseball will be the, the draft will be actually so much fun because oh, if you yeah. can make a, a trade for, a big leaguer and, and, you know, Rob asshole Manfred walks up and, and says, Hey, uh, the Texas Rangers just traded the, the number three selection, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then you see Jeff Passon saying, Oh, like, like, whoa, uh, the, the number three selection was traded for whatever, like it, that is super cool. And I would love to see something like that. Um, but you know, that, that might be next CBA, whatever. Uh, I just wanted to make one little point on Rob Manfred, uh, the most tone deaf man on, on planet earth. Um, yeah. Well, that, he rejected the premise of the question that minor league. Yes. He rejected it in his words. I reject the premise that minor leaguers are not making livable wages. You can't just reject objective facts. Like you can't just say, I reject the idea uh, that players aren't making a livable wage. Low, low A guys are making $500 a week, Jack. And before that housing wasn't even provided. Now they have housing, but it's like, it's, it's kind of weird, the situation. And also it's, it's just like, here is a bed and a room and like you take care of the rest. And it's a lot better than it was before. But I mean, this guy spends multiple months salaries of low A players, I'm sure on his golf clubs, maybe just his driver. Like it's just such a tone deaf thing to say. And it just it drives me nuts that that he is so willing to double down and triple down and quadruple down and really just be that outward about his just carefree nature of of what's going on in the minor leagues. Though it is improving, they've got a long way to go. So um, there are yeah, you say low you say low A guys make five hundred a week, two thousand a month. Take taxes out of that because it is taxable income. They're taking in about eighteen hundred a month. Um, eighteen hundred a month. Okay, still below the poverty line, but you can live off a little over twenty thousand a year if you don't have a girlfriend and you don't, 
you know, do any, like you don't have kids, you don't have a dog, like you are just living by yourself and you're living in a studio Remember, apartment. It's not every month too. Yeah, right? that's what I was going to say. Remember, it's not 12 months, it's six months. They get paid for six months. So these guys are making $10,000 a year chasing a dream, chasing $700,000 minimum. And I understand, like, I think what, what Rob Manfred and his tone deaf ass is saying is problem solved. We up the minimum, we up the minimum salary. Like it's not, it's not 550 anymore. It's it's 700. That's good. We're good. No, that's, that's the minimum for major leaguers, minor leaguers. Yes. You're covering housing. Even if housing is covered for six months, $10,000 a year is nowhere close to enough to live on. And and not only that, it's again, People are like, oh, it's only part of the year. You can do something else. These guys have to train and stay right and, and keep going. And also when they have an instructional league or, or, or when they have, you know, any camps that, that major league teams have, because a lot of these things happen that, that people don't even know about, you know, they'll say, hey, we're having a two-week thing in the offseason. Come come to the complex, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to, but you kind of have to. Um, they're not getting paid for that most of the time. Some, some do, some don't. Like, especially spring training, that was a whole thing as well it's hit or miss as to whether they're going to get paid for some of those things that they do. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say on it is I, I, I just don't understand what is so difficult to, it, they don't have to pay that much. Like it, it can be minimum wage essentially, but like at least get them there. What's interesting is I'm waiting for the day where, where Rob Manfred says, you know, professional baseball is just a part-time job until you're in the majors or something like that. Like I'm waiting for them to hide behind that then it's a part-time job and you can side hustle and do something else. And I know guys that were side hustling and doing something else. I know guys that DoorDash. were DoorDash. Yeah. DoorDash. I know guys that were like grinding to get their real estate license and, and sell real estate. I mean, Julian Infante, he was in the Marlins organization, Vanderbilt guy. He yeah, retired yeah. early because he was crushing it in real estate, all the power to him. And, and he's doing great there. Uh, but you know, he was, he was playing in the lower minors with the Marlins and, and said, screw this. Uh, I don't blame him. If you're doing successful, you know, if you're successful in your career, Go, go pursue that because major league baseball is not going to value you in the minor leagues unless you're a bonus baby. And even then, you know, you, you, you can start eating through that, that bonus pretty quickly. If you want to have uh, the lifestyle that uh, you know, most people in, in that realm that are as talented as you are have, I'm more concerned about the college seniors who legitimately have to weigh out, you know, whether they want to pursue their dream or, whether they need to support their family or not. And, and, and it's crazy because these guys are supposed to be some of the best in, in the world at what they do. And they're not paid like it whatsoever. Pay them like G leaguers, God forbid. Yeah. I don't know. This hits very close to home being a minor league announcer um, that makes minor league wages pretty much. Uh, and, and I know that you've experienced that too. It's like you, you're sitting here um, we worked unpaid internships between summers and college. Like we lived out on Cape Cod to work unpaid internships. Yeah. That's really hard to do, man. Like, and I mean, the players think about the players. I mean, they're, they're, they're in college there, but like they, that's another example. I mean, these guys aren't getting internships to uh, further their careers on the side. They have to play baseball on the Cape to try to get drafted still, even though it's the Cape, most of them don't get drafted. Um, and, and that's the thing with it too, is like their whole time leading up to professional baseball, it's all about baseball. So when are these guys supposed to build out their other career skills. on the side and, oh yeah, well you can, 
know, get a finance gig on the side and, and, and just, just work your way towards Goldman Sachs and, and get a job there. Like it's just not how it works. It, don't forget benefits, all of those things. Like there, there, there's a lot of interesting aspects to, to what minor leaguers have to deal with. Again, it's more nuanced. There's a lot that goes into it, but I will say uh, Rob Manfred couldn't be any, any more of an asshole about it. Like, I think it would be hard for him to be more of an asshole about this whole thing. Um, but I, I am happy. We should put in the note that, uh, what was it a settlement between what would it be the players or so who would the settlement be between for like 180 million what, yeah, what the whole detail I, was on that I don't, we're gonna butcher it but a lot of money was settled between major league baseball and and whoever was representing the minor leaguers i don't know how much that ends up shaking out for every player i don't know a lot of money for a lot out. of guys yeah i'm here for it um whatever it is I, you know i don't know how much it breaks down to each player but cool with me um i'm glad that that major league baseball was held accountable to a degree and the fact that they're settling, I think, in a court of law is a testament to Major League Baseball acknowledging that they are skimping these players. Like, let's be real. They are. Yeah. And I think that I think that there is a lot to be said that we're never going to go backwards again. Like, no, we're only so. moving forward. It's only players could gotten, strike at that point. Like, yeah, exactly. Strike at that point. It's only gotten better over the last couple of years. And it will only continue to get better. I don't think we're going to stagnate either. I think that there are enough people speaking out about it and enough people unearthing what was actually going on that they're actually going to start getting treated like legitimate employees. And that's what they are. They are employees of the organization. They are just working in other places that are not the mecca of that organization. Think about it like satellite headquarters. Uh, think about it like that. The satellite the headquarters of the Pittsburgh Pirates are in are in Pittsburgh, right? There is a satellite campus in Indianapolis. There's a satellite campus in Altoona, satellite campus in Bradenton, Florida, um, in Greensboro. I can't leave out Greensboro. But it's, you know, view them as employees. Like, don't view them as guys that are trying to make it to headquarters. View them as employees that are yeah. working for you because they're interns. They are, yes, they're, they're interns, interns, but they're also interns that you can swap for more people to help you. Yeah, you can trade, more- you can trade, you can trade like four really good interns for like a legit, really good, like a like a general manager, basically, yes. employee-wise. Like for a manager of a branch. Like that's the craziest part. So they should be valued as such. If you can trade, you know, some of these players and look at like Ellie Dilla Cruz. I know you could say, oh, they're bonus babies. Ellie Dilla Cruz signed for sixty thousand dollars, right? If if Ellie Dilla Cruz can be traded, which he could, the Reds would never, but for argument's sake could be traded for a borderline all-star player at this point. Like the Reds could trade Ellie Dua Cruz and get Ben Attendee right now. Right. Oh, like yeah. how is that guy not worth more than what he's being paid in the minor leagues right now? Like that, that is, that is like the perfect example. If he can help your major league team, he should be paid as such. Uh, and that's just not the case. I, I'm looking forward to maybe a way where like top prospects, even in, in some regard, you know, based on, I wouldn't even, it wouldn't be realistic, but like there should be some arbitration, maybe something like that to to deem salaries from minor leaguers. There's a lot of things that could go a lot of different ways, but I am interested to see how that all shakes out. The last thing that I want to say on on this concept, and then I think we can wrap up is um, the more that we dive into this, the more okay I am with the concept of big league advance. It's when you first see it, you think, oh, immoral you're taking future money from these guys no you're giving these guys who are cash strapped money up front in exchange for what 10 percent of their future earnings but if you're making 340 million dollars like fernando tatis 
you don't care worth it for him you don't care like that that's the thing here so i i think that there is a positive service that people like that are giving if you on twitter have, right it was we saw ellie de la cruz was a bla guy right on twitter ellie de la cruz is a bla guy spencer steer is a bla guy i mean they help people from all walks so steer, you know, not not a late round pick, but wasn't a first round pick. So, you know, I think the signing bonus could have went rather quickly. I, I think it was definitely less than seven figures. And then Ellie Dela Cruz, we talked about less than six figures. It allows them to focus on baseball and like live and and, and be okay and and support their family and not have to worry about those things. That I mean, I'm, I'm here for that. And and I, it makes sense. No one no one has to take the deal that BLA offers. And, and you don't owe it back if you don't make it. No, you don't. You owe can it retire. Back. You could retire. You could literally retire. I, I will say I want to. I want to talk about the Rangers real quick. I know we briefly talked about them on the on the draft episode. Yeah. But we didn't see what they did the rest of the draft. Yeah. They crushed it. They crushed it. They absolutely crushed it. Um. They went out and and they where they were at. You know, they basically said, "Hey, we're gonna go get Kumar." We we knew that Kumar was gonna be underslotted, and we knew that that meant that they were probably going to go out and and try to get somebody else you know, and try to overslot somebody. They did that with Brock Porter. And I loved that pick. Brock Porter was, was our number two prep arm in the draft. He slipped out of the first round. And that usually happens not because he wasn't a first round prospect is once he slips out of the top 15, for those who, you know, may not totally understand how the whole draft structure works. Most teams are like, Hey, we like you, Brock. We would take you if, if you didn't cost more than what our slot value is here, because if you try to pick Brock Porter at 20, his agent, Scott Boris, is going to say, we want the slot value of the 12th pick because that's what he's valued at. And the team's going to say, no, that throws off our whole draft strategy. So he falls. The Rangers saved $2.5 million by drafting Kumar Rocker. And they said, you know what? Let's let's give this thing a go. Let's, let's take Kumar for cheap. It's almost like trading back in the first. And yep. then go over slot Brock Porter. Both Boris clients... They're going to get a deal done with Porter, in my opinion. I, I think there's no doubt about it. That is two first-round talents there, pitching-wise, that they just got. And then I also really liked the Luis Ramirez pick. Electric mm-hmm. out of Long Beach State. Wiry right-hander. I, I know you you watch him throw a little bit. I, arm speed off the charts. They, they crushed it, pitching-wise, on this draft. They got a couple upside high schoolers, Chandler Pollard. Tommy Specht. I, I like what they did. Uh, I, I want to give a nod to Chris Young. Yes. The Rangers know what they're doing. They're building something there. I really do believe in Chris Young, general manager, former big leaguer, tallest guy ever. Yes. Um, Jack Leiter told me that he that was a big reason why he gravitated towards the Rangers when he was going through his draft process because you know he he had some leverage there. Chris Young really sold him on the plan, the future, and, and I'm seeing it kind of come to fruition here with the Rangers. I think they're doing a really good job over there. It's going to take a year or two, but but you can see it coming together. It's more than just spending half a bill. No, it's way more than spending half a bill. And you, you can look at half a bill up the middle infield. That's fine. So let's look at, you know, Semyon at second, Seager at short. At third, Duran, he's the future third baseman, right? And they got Josh Young too. At first, I yeah, I think first DH is Josh Young. Very what possible. Happened? Yeah, I think that, that could end up being what happens. I, I think you've got some decent catchers there. Um, the outfield is is littered with some guys that can break through. I mean, you've got Dustin Harris. You've got Adolis Garcia. Don't forget about Adolis Garcia. Um, and, and more coming. So what did you need to worry about? 
you need to worry about pitching. Last year, you took Jack Leiter two. This year, you take Kumar Rocker three. And again, you go get who many thought to be the best pitcher, not just prep pitcher, best pitcher in the class in Brock Porter in the fourth round and use those one and a half million dollars that you saved on Kumar Rocker and allocated towards Brock Porter. So they addressed hitting. Chris Young saw that they lacked pitching, so they addressed pitching. That's what Perry Manassian just did when he took over with Anaheim. It's going to be a slow build, but we've got faith in both those guys. We think that the future of the AL West is in yep. great hands. Obviously, with what Houston has done, um, Seattle, we, we know what Seattle's young core is capable of. Um, Oakland is going to move to Vegas, and that should help. Um, and hopefully they get new ownership and, and new everything. But then you've got Texas trending in the right direction. And LA, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I think we've got faith in Perry. You just have smart people running these organizations in the AL West, except for Oakland. Except for Oakland. Um, I mean, I like their pick. I like that they got Susack. Uh, it's pretty, but that was one of those that just kind of fell in their lap. Um, I'm very interested to see how Oakland approaches this deadline. And we're going to have that kind of coverage the rest of the way over the next 10, 11 days. So I'm looking yeah. forward to, to that on justbaseball.com. I do want to plug justbaseball.com real quick. Um, we had the best day in justbaseball.com history leading up to the draft, most page views ever. Um, on Sunday and then, or Monday? It was, it was, I think it was one of those days. Honestly, I think it was like the 13th or the 14th. Colby texted me and said, biggest day we've ever had, look at the traffic. And then we beat it three days later. So I, 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 know, I don't know how many people that listen to the podcast read the site. If you do, thank you so much. You rock. We've been adding a ton of writers. We're really excited about what we have building here uh, at the website. And it's just really cool to see the traffic really starting to break through. Um, and, and I mean, we are on pace for over a million page views over the last couple months, you know, which is just something that I never thought we'd be doing, you know, hardly out of a year from, I mean, today's a year and a month since we started the website. So uh, really excited about what we're building there. I, I highly encourage everybody to go check out what we're writing and, um, and all the articles that we're putting out in our deadline coverage. Uh, we're always going to kind of tie in some of the articles on the site onto our conversations here. So if you're always captivated by the conversation, not always, but if you're, if you're entertained by the conversation here, there's probably an article on justbaseball.com that dives into it even further. Um, so definitely go check that out. Yeah. <laughs> I co-sign. Um, I want to also shout out the call up. We're going to, we're going to do some cool stuff, breaking down the draft in depth over the next few days. You know, we, we've talked about the draft in the first round on here. I'm going to go, and, and I'm sure you're going to join me on a couple episodes. We're going like, to kind of break down the later rounds, all of the little things that you need to know about each draft class, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and shout out to friend of the call-up, Matt Mervis, getting yeah, promoted triple. to AAA, joining the Iowa Cubs. Uh, one of the best stories in the minor leagues this year. Uh, I'm sure we'll have him back on the show soon for you Cubs fans out there. Uh, but really exciting to see another guy making his way up there, uh, undrafted in 2020. Now leading, you know, he's leading all of professional baseball in RBI. Yeah. He's, is he the only 80. guy at 80 still? Only guy at 80 in the major league and minor league level. Shout That's out awesome. Matt Mervis. That is awesome. Um, yeah, I get, I get Mervis in Indy in the middle of August, which will be great. Let's go. Let's so, go. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll come out and visit. Uh, well, I'm coming out to you that weekend. I'm coming out to oh. New York that weekend. So Tuesday, Wednesday, listen, if you want to hop on the flight from Indy to, to LaGuardia back with me, that's, that's cool too. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll be back on Friday 
Um, I think it'll be the three of us. We'll see. Peter yeah. will be back. Peter and Colby caught a ball at the home run derby, which would be sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, super dope. Super um, Corey dope. Seager, the least exciting guy in the derby, just puts one right in our guy's hands over there. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So they look like they had a great time. Tons of great content there. Um, I mean, there's there's no event like the Derby. I think I think it's the best event in sports uh, in terms of so like too. best like all star event in sports. You get some of the Easily. best athletes competing, and they care. But you still get Juan Soto, who's about to make half a bill, just jumping up and down like a little kid winning the Derby. You don't think they care? They care, and that's what makes it so cool. Instead of watching Anthony Simons versus Juan Toscano Anderson compete in the dur in the uh, dunk contest, slam dunk contest, rather watch some of the best hitters in baseball. You know, duke it out and care. See, I was thinking um, watching the celebrity shooting competition where, like, they have to make a layup, an elbow jumper, a free throw, a three oh. and a half court shot. I think that's my favorite. Oh, yeah. What about the skills competition where it's skills that you and I can do? It's like well, pass it through a, a gigantic Andy Reid sized hole. Yeah. And then, like, dribble, layup, make a three. I, I, I think you and I could, like, put together a decent time there. I think so. Um, the other one that I think I could put together a, a decent performance in is the uh, Pro Bowl dodgeball tournament. Oh, Have you seen God. that dodgeball for the that Pro Bowl? That was the worst experiment ever. Just Jarvis Landry did go crazy, though, that one year. Yeah, yeah that's another one. Like, you got other sports ripping dodgeball because they can't, like, like make a exhibition for their sport, which I get to, like, football, you can't play football halfway. Yeah. Uh, but baseball is the one sport where you can, like, really do some cool stuff. They, they're doing some awesome stuff. I would love, and this is something we could talk about another time, probably make a great TikTok, skills competitions for baseball. Yeah. I would love to come up with some skills competitions. Like, I want to see, like, some throws from the outfield. I would love to see, like, some different, like, long throw competition, too. I, guys would probably blow their arm out. But yeah. I would love to see some different things there. But maybe that's in the future. No, I'm thinking, like, you, you remember the video of, like, Ichiro throwing and knocking over all the bats? Yes, I would love stuff like that. Yeah, I would something love like that. stuff like that. That would be awesome. Like bat control stuff too. Like, oh yeah. Like where can you place it? Whatever. I know. What was it? South Korea that does the, the competition. Uh, yeah, that's the worst thing ever. But um, it's similar to that. Like thinking outside the box, do something cool. I, but other than that, the Derby is the best event in sports. I just wanted to mention that too. Love it. All right, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you on Friday.